Hey, everybody, Scott McKay, and this is my co-host, Melissa McKenzie. We are here for the Spectacle Podcast. We've got uh, an interesting uh, segment that we're going to finish the week with, um, and that is to talk about the number one show on Netflix, which is American Nightmare. Um, I caught this thing over last weekend, and I made Melissa watch it, um, which uh, earned me a lot of protesting uh, mm -hmm. as she was watching it. Um, if you haven't seen this thing, it's absolutely one of the craziest stories that you will ever run into. Um, it's basically the story of a kidnapping that the cops initially didn't believe actually happened. Um, and that's, um, it gets crazier from there, put it that way. Um, Melissa, what'd you think about this show? Well, you know, my initial thought was I had I, I, I actually some sympathy. Now we knew that, that that the story was true, right? Like we knew that the story was true. So, so going into that, that's easy on, from our perspective to go, okay, you know, because the the testimony from the guy who's so basically, I'll set it up for those of you who haven't watched. And this is there's this is going to be filled with spoilers. So if you haven't watched this yet, don't listen to us because we're talking in great detail about what happened and you've been warned. So jump off right now. We'll see you later. Go watch it. Come back. Um, and then you can finish this up. So the first segment, you know, you see the, the premise of this is a boyfriend and girlfriend are asleep in their beds in their home in this nice uh, kind of bedroom community in California. And uh, the guy kind of groggily calls 911 and says, um, my girlfriend has been kidnapped. And the police come to the house and he said he was tied up and yada, yada, all this kind of crazy stuff. And um, his his girlfriend was gone. Well, the police automatically assumed that he had killed his girlfriend. And I got to say, my first, isn't your first it instinct? It does happen like that. So, yeah. Well, like 99% of the time, that's true. Like, you, you know, and then you see the boyfriend or the husband or whatever, and he's chopped his wife to pieces or his girlfriend to pieces and, and gets on the, you know, the TV and says, come back. And, you know, he knows where the body is and all of that. And so like 99% of the time, that's the case. This is the 1% of the time but it's not the case he's telling the truth the police don't believe him and put him through the ringer and and the craziest thing out of that segment scott that the thing that made me absolutely um that we find out later in another segment because there's three three sections of this um netflix special and they're each about 45 minutes so it's not very long all told um is that the police turned off his phone and the kidnappers called twice and they could have geolocated where the kidnapper was within 200 yards. Right. And so, so the, his girlfriend had been, had been kidnapped and had been raped and they could have prevented the second rape if they had listened. Right. And um, so it's just an absolute nightmare scenario i mean american yeah. nightmare for and and the cops were terrible the fbi was terrible 
And there's so many kind of gaps in this and uh, bizarre things in the story. It's unnerving that I afterwards, you know, I called Scott up and was like, what the heck did you just make me watch? You know? And, and then we were kind of talking through it all because there were kind of gaps in the story. Like what, why? And both Scott and I today went and kind of researched it. I ended up in a Reddit forum as per, you know, where all the, all the craziness goes. Um, so that was my initial impression was that, you know, the, and they kind of were kind of setting you up that way that, well, the story could have been a made up thing and he could have been the killer, but he was not. And, um, and then as it went on, it just got more horrifying because of what these young people went through was just terrible. Yeah. Well, and once you start to do the research and actually, you know, my thought after watching this is they made this documentary to make this the creepiest story that they could. Um, and what I want to know is, you know, what did they leave out? But having done a little research on this case, it sounds like the documentary was actually fairly spot on. And what will, you know, unnerve you when you watch it uh, is, you know, because they leave all of these threads sort of hanging out there. A lot of them are the product of the guy who ended up being the kidnapper. Um, and I'm not even sure the guy was all that much of a kidnapper. What he really was is a rapist. And the kidnapping apparently seems to have been a facility of uh, the rapes. Um, and in the case of the, you know, the victim in this story, I think that that kind of seemed to be the deal. Like he was conning her into not resisting him when he wanted to have sex with her mm -hmm. um, and told her a bunch of things that like patently weren't true. I guess I don't know to make her feel better about what was happening or something. It was it was off the chain weird. And the thing is, is that as far as okay, we're leaving out well, a salient point here, which is he said he said repeatedly twice at least that he, she was this was a mistake that he was not right. meant to kidnap her. Right. And had an inadvertently kidnapped her that it was supposed to be this guy's previous girlfriend slash fiance who he had since broken up with. And then now right. he was dating this new girl. And so that was so the and this guy, his name is Muller, is right. a ex-Marine and a graduate of Harvard Law. Yeah. And an attorney. He, he was a lawyer. He was a I mean, lawyer, but he'd been disbarred because he'd stolen money and from clients or something. And he was, a, you know. Well, and he was also, I mean, this guy is, uh, you know, the old the old line is crazy as a shithouse rat. And that yeah. like absolutely describes he's bipolar. He's a manic depressive. Um uh, suffered delusions. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I ran into, uh, um, an article at Atavist magazine that kind of really went in deep, deep, deep detail into this case. And I guess the reporter had actually sat down and interviewed this guy. Um, you know, and he was in sort of a protracted psychotic episode, apparently, uh, that had turned into him being a peeping Tom in the neighborhood where these people, uh, were, he had, 
at least two or three other times um, had this same sort of scenario where he happened upon these people or, or, you know, did the home invasion middle of the night, woke them up, uh, you know, zip tied them and, and, uh, uh, and, you know, at least attempted to rape one of them and uh, attempted to kidnap another one. Um, and, but the thing is, is the weird thing is, is he didn't follow through with one of them. He left the, he left the woman cause you know, it's like, I said, I, he can't do it. And it's like, oh, so you're a rapist, but you don't want to be a jerk about it, right? Like, like you know, what? Right, like, well, does he left like, in that, that case. It's so weird. And the thing is, is he was not a very good peeping Tom because he got caught by the neighbors who reported <laughs> him to the police who did nothing. Who did so nothing. There were like three different police departments who did nothing. Right. You know. Until, he, until finally the police department at one of them had a rookie detective that put the case all together and wrapped right. it up in a bow and gave it to uh, Vallejo, California is where the uh, right. the, the case that the, the documentary is based on was. And these two people that were the victims ended up getting a two and a half million dollar settlement from the police department in Vallejo mm -hmm. because they treated this thing like it was a real life version of Gone Girl, the movie. Right. Um, you know, and like they like these guys immediately processed this thing as though it was a movie rather than an actual case. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of these crazy things. Now, um, I think a lot of what complicated this and made it as bizarre as it was, was that the kidnapper did a whole bunch of things that nobody in their right mind would do. And so the cops initially, when they heard the guy's story about his girlfriend getting kidnapped, were like, that doesn't hold up. That's that's bizarre. Like we we don't believe this story, right? Because it was it was so weird. Um, you know, that he's given them NyQuil and diazepam as a as a tranquilizer to keep them quiet. He brought apparently a blow-up doll in a wetsuit. Uh, mm -hmm. to make it look like there was more than one person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he had a, a, a super soaker pistol that he painted black and had a laser pointer duct taped to it. And so he's pointing lasers around and like this whole thing comes off as though it it's like this, um, you know, paramilitary operation to go and kidnap these people. And then he made all his, well, I'm part of a syndicate that uh that kidnaps people for profit and it's like uh okay there are things you can do for profit kidnapping in america is 100 absolutely not one of them like that's like absolutely not a profitable thing to do and so if you're a cop and you hear that they say that you're like no that i mean that's a red flag immediately and so part of this nightmare that these people went through is because they're recounting what actually happened to them right. in a story that makes zero sense to a trained police right. interrogator right. who immediately is like, what? No, this right. is like, tell me something that's not utter bullshit. Like, I'm not believing that. And like this poor guy is like, it's what happened. Like, I, I don't know what, like this is what happened. And then when she actually turns up, 
because he brings her to her folks' home 400 miles away in Huntington Beach in California. And she turns up and immediately they say, oh, this was a hoax. And you're gone, girl. Like, you set this thing up. Right. You know, she doesn't know how to. It's like, no, I actually was. And of course, and, well, the, the terrible thing is, is she was raped twice. And yeah, so, he, but he tells her, he hurt. says, you, whatever you do, you cannot tell the police that you were sexually assaulted or that we had sex. Okay. All right. I, I mean, I can't tell the cops. So she doesn't. And then she comes back and says, well, actually, I was. And now her story has inconsistencies and they don't believe it. I mean, like, if the whole thing is just diabolically crazy and you feel so much for these two people that got put through the ringer and it has like a happy ending, which is, I guess the good part, all these, I mean, this happened in 2015. So it's yeah, not but the people, ago. the people of Vallejo still have this crappy cops there and the terrible FBI agent who is completely stuck on this gone girl thing it still has a job like where is he i mean right. these are this does not speak well of the only hero with to the you know the girl who was taken uh was this new uh woman rookie detective and one of the things that is really crystal clear here is that the amount what it takes for i mean this girl was like wrecked you know what yeah. I mean? The first thing that she did when she was back with her boyfriend is like, I, I'm just so sorry. I didn't want to, you know, like she was, she was completely right. victimized. And what does it take for a police to believe a woman, you know, like, and the thing is, is that to me, and I'm not a police officer, but the default position should be get the rape rape kit done and and then proceed from there you know get the evidence and then proceed but everything was asked backwards with all of this and and the guy actually passed the lie detector test that her boyfriend and they and made they it told seem him like he failed they told him he failed which and, I, you know um it's just well and you know look i think the lesson from this Okay, is if you have any exposure at all, at all, on a case like this, or even something much less weird than this, but if you're in a position where you like, okay, I'm going to have an interaction with the police and they're going to ask me questions, lawyer up. I mean, lawyer up immediately. And when they when they're like, hey, uh. You know, look, we want you to sit in this room for a while, and then I'm going to be in here to talk to you in a bit. Immediately ask for a lawyer. Immediately. Especially if the FBI is in. Because their track record is absolutely awful when it comes to things yeah. like this. And so, you know, like, I mean, I, to me, I got immediately from that was never, ever, 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 ever talk to the cops without a lawyer ever even if you're the victim as it turns out especially if you're the if you're the victim and it's and it's a, a home invasion or a kidnapping or you know any kind of deal like that somebody goes missing and it's your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever, 
You get a lawyer now, immediately, so fast their heads spin. Because for one thing, 90% of everybody that never had an interaction with the cops. And so you're nervous as hell and you don't know what to say, right? Mm -hmm. How much to tell them, how much not, like you have no idea. You better have somebody dispassionate who's been through this before at your side. And then the other thing is, is you never know if they're going to turn on you and say, ah, you're not the victim, you're the, you're the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. um, and like, that was the rude lesson that these guys got. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's a bizarre story. It's a kind of a weird whodunit, but there's, I think there's plenty of lessons in this thing for, hey, if you're going to deal with cops, media, um, like if you get thrust in a situation like that, you need a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the biggest fan of lawyers, but <laughs> you need a lawyer if you get put in a situation like this. Yeah, I mean, it was. If you want your faith restored, say in the FBI, this show will not do that for you. Not even a little bit. No. And the local no. police are not any better. So um, I, I, I don't know. Do we just not ever hear the good stories of FBI agents, Scott? Like the, they're the ones I'm sure there's under... plenty. Okay. I mean, like I, I know people who've been in the FBI. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I you know they're, they're good folks. Of course, most of the FBI people I know are no longer in the FBI. Mm -hmm. And most of those guys are quite critical of the modern FBI. So maybe I'm the wrong guy to ask this question. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in every organization, you got good and bad. And I'm sure that there's, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's lots of competent, well-meaning folks in your local police department and in the FBI. The problem is, um, you know, when you're a society that's in decline, um, what these people get exposed to is, the worst of humanity yeah. and their default is going to be that everyone that they come in contact with is going to represent the worst of humanity in some way, shape, matter, or form. Right. So if somebody kills your wife, you're going to be the, the suspect. Whether, you know, I mean, whether, unless they can absolutely prove that it had nothing to do with you, they're going to cast suspicion and you'd better have a look. Um, you know, I mean, they're your house burns down. They're immediately going to think you did it, but for insurance purposes. Right. I mean, like they're always going to look for the, the worst of your motivations and the worst of your actions. And that's just how the, how it works these days in a more, um, faithful trusting society it wouldn't be necessary for them to do that but that's not what we live in right now and so they're you're going to be under suspicion when you have um interactions with the police yeah period that's just it i mean folks like in the black community in the inner city have been able to tell you this for a long time now it's everybody that that sees it well, I feel like to to your point about that, one of the problems is now is that people are so transient and people move from here and there. It's one thing when the community cops 
know everybody in the community and they're your friends and and the beat cops are the guys that you see on the same block that you live in in new york and you know them and they know you and there's a relationship there and then they know okay so and so's uh if if it's local enough and they they can call up the parent of so-and-so kid who got caught drinking out behind the high school or you know that kind of thing but when it's so fractured and there's no relationship and the the assumptions of the motives are the worst um then then all of these kind of things take on a life of their own and there's and the police don't put it have any real accountability when it goes both ways when the cops knew the local people and the people knew the cops, they could, you know, the local woman who grew up with him could say, hey, Scott, you know, shut up. This is, you know, da, 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 da. And he might be the cop, sure, but, but the community knows him and is holding him accountable and saying, you know, right. no, I can vouch for these people. You need to listen to them. Right. But there's none of that now. Yeah, there's... you don't have that. And so, like, because of this fractured society that we're in, you have a cynical, you know, the default um, position is cynical and stupid. And so, you know, and lazy uh, because it's just easier than to, um, you know, spend right. any brain power to really actually think through these things, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, two months before this kidnapping, Gone Girl came out and was in a more movie in the country. Mm -hmm. So they just immediately, ah, uh, these people went and saw the movie. And they thought they would, you right. know, reenact it mm -hmm. for whatever sick reason they were going to do. And it's like, that's not what happened at all. Right. Um, you know, and the truth is far crazier than that. Right. But, well, this, you know, this, this, this yeah. cop that was in charge of the investigation, you know, like, I mean, didn't have a, a great imagination, apparently, and just immediately settled on a narrative that made sense to him and it, it, it was dead wrong but you know he didn't back off it until it was absolutely necessary and then he went dark so obviously he what you know he, he didn't do interviews with any of the media people and he certainly didn't do interviews with the, the makers of the documentary so we don't know his side of the story probably because his side of the story is not overly compelling or exonerating in any way well, um, you know, but that's just kind of how it goes, right? Like, yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the yeah. thing is, is that struck me is that the story was so specific and detailed and he repeated it exactly multiple times. It is very difficult to lie in that with that specificity. And then when yeah. his girlfriend came back and she was interviewed separately from him, they and had not contacted him and her story was exactly the same in specificity and detail that should tell you something as an investigator lying liars tend to one kind yeah, they of they don't have their story straight they don't have their story straight but also it's broader and it's vaguer and it's you know whatever the this as bizarre as the story was it was exceedingly specific and um, and so, like, that takes a, a, a an amount of creativity that I mean, you and I are both writers. I don't have that kind. I mean, I couldn't have come up with the kind of crazy that was described. And so that kind of has to count for something. But 
anyway, um, yeah. it, it's a little disheartening, but it's easy to, in some ways, to money more morning quarterback. On the other hand, um, it, it was just a fail at every step of the way. So go and watch it. You'll be, you know, if you want to be uh, even more cynical about law enforcement, you know, right. <laughs> you, you right. come out of this podcast and uh, out of their uh, documentary, more of a libertarian than you went in. So for sure, <laughs> there's that. Absolutely. Well, that's going to conclude our uh, segments of the Spectacle podcast for the week. Uh, I hope you guys uh, enjoy this new format uh, where we're, we're doing, you know, 15 to 30 minute uh, segments rather than the one long form uh, podcast. We're capable of doing either one, though. So if you want to see a long form one, then just let either Melissa or I know. Melissa, they can get you at McKenzieM at spectator.org. Uh, catch me at either scott at the hayride.com or scott mckay all one word at reviver.com and by the way check this book out racism revenge and ruin it's all obama like huge book if you want to know about american politics and why it is where the way it is definitely check the book out um see both of our writings at spectator.org a uh, lot of great stuff there. And think about subscribing to the American Spectator. Uh, you're actually supporting this podcast when you do that, as well as the magazine. Um, and also, if you like what you see in here, here, share it. Let the world know. We're actually doing great numbers of late, especially since we changed to this new format. So we're really excited about that. And uh, you're going to see a lot more of us showing up around the Internet. Uh, but, um, you know, we'd like to really bust this thing out and have it become a big deal this year. And we need you guys to help us out. So think about it, would you? Melissa, you got anything else before we get out of here? Nope. Subscribe, please. Subscribe to the American Spectator. We have the next issue we're putting together right now, the next print issue. You're going to love it. Um, we're doing an examination of religion in America and, um, the, uh, the belief systems and everything else. We have amazing writers and this is going to be one that you're going to want to have. So, yep, subscribe. Thank you so much. Very good. See you guys later.